Welcome to the North Star Unplugged podcast, brought to you from Bozeman, Montana. Your host is Kristen Rainey, the founder and CEO of North Star Sleep School, providing online and in-person sleep courses to help you get better rest. The North Star Unplugged podcast is about rest and rejuvenation, and it's also about unplugging from technology, transitions, and transformations, and spending time and energy on the things that really matter, which are different for all of us. You can find the audio version of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you want to watch the interviews, go to YouTube and search for the North Star Unplugged channel. Finally, you can also see all prior episodes on the North Star Sleep School website at www.northstarsleepschool.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of North Star Unplugged. I'm your host, Kristen Rainey, and today I'm here with Margot Darling and Callie Martin, who met several years ago while kickboxing and together launched the Star Seed Vegan Food Truck here in Bozeman, which just completed its first season a few blocks from my house here. Mm-hmm. Nothing like starting a business during a pandemic. Margo and Callie, I'm excited to have you both on the show. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having Thanks. me. <laughs> so when and how did each of you find your way to Bozeman? Um, Margo, let's start with you. I came in 1996. Um, because an old friend started a rafting company and invited me to come and be a rafting guide. So I came as an illegal alien. And where did you, where did you come, where where did you come (laughs) from? I came from Montreal, Quebec. And Callie, how about you? I grew up here. Um, We lived in Terry, Montana, a little ways from Bozeman, but, um, after my dad passed, we sort of made our way to Bozeman and I lived here up until I was 10 and then moved away and just felt a pull to be back in the mountains. And it was the one place that I had lived that actually felt like home and I wanted to go back to that. Um, so I came back in January, 2016 and don't plan on leaving anytime soon. (laughs) And I know you you met each other in a kickboxing class several years ago. What inspired each of you to pick up kickboxing? Emotional issues. (laughs) 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 I've started boxing uh, during a really tough time in my life, and I found it really empowering. And um, Mm -hmm. This little kickboxing studio started up and a friend told me about it. And it's great exercise and very therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I started with Krav Maga. I was in treatment and I felt like I wanted to feel as though I could protect myself and at least have the mentality that I was safe within my own body and being able to take care of myself. It felt important. And so I took Krav Maga for a little while and then came back to Bozeman and was looking for something similar. And I had asked the owner of this studio where I was training what he would recommend in Bozeman. And he found this kickboxing studio at the time. It was I Love Kickboxing. He's like, this looks pretty legit. Like, you'd probably like this. So I went in and started that. And it has. It has been extremely empowering. It's one of the first things 
that I was able to do and actually recognize like, oh, I've overcome a lot and I never thought I could do this. And now I teach. And so (laughs) it was intimidating at first, but to do something that scared me and I felt like I wasn't capable of and to succeed was very empowering and important for me in my recovery process as well. So that's why I started. (laughs) And what were you recovering from? Um, anorexia. So I'd been in treatment in and out a lot. Um, and kickboxing was a big motivator for me to stay healthy and being back in Bozeman and Montana, where I just love it. There's so many activities that I felt like I was missing out on because I wasn't healthy enough to do them. Um, and I, I didn't, want that to be my life. I didn't want to feel like I was on the sidelines, just watching, missing out. And what was Krav Maga that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, Krav Maga is um, a military self-defense. And so these classes, they're training you with knife situations and sort of, it's a lot of practical self-defense. It was good exercise, but also I hadn't been allowed to exercise in six months. So getting back into that, I also felt like I had to push through and find this strength that I didn't think I would ever have or get back from being at such a low point physically. Um, It took a lot of mental work, too, to be able to sustain that. And Krav Maga was scary. I was like, oh, no, I hope I'm never confronted at knife point or have to defend myself in that way. But I have some knowledge of how to do it now. and that. Is super empowering. How many weeks or months went by uh, at kickboxing before each of you actually exchanged words? A while. I felt like Hmm. I'd seen Margot quite a bit and maybe exchanged like, oh, hi, like glad you're here. Like I recognize you from class. But we didn't really start talking for a few months at least. When I first encountered Callie, she was still. Um, in a pretty rough state, she was extremely small. And I remember seeing her there and thinking this girl should not be outside of a hospital. She looked so um, sick. And I couldn't help but um, be drawn to her energy just Like, whoa, I'm always like, who's that one who's struggling? Who's that one who's barely hanging on? And it was, I sort of, I spied on you. I spied on Callie and I just watched her um, get healthy. And I was, I was suffering my own way, but it was more emotional. It wasn't as obvious. Mm. Um, But I, I would, I loved seeing Callie there. It was really inspiring to me. And also like, I was a little worried <laughs> that she was um, that that she was unhealthy, and but over time, watching her get gain weight and get more healthy, I was really drawn to her. I was I wanted to be her friend, but she was really shy. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I remember which is weird com- now. Yeah, like totally now. weird. <laughs> but that was a tough time. You were coming up from the underworld. Like mm-hmm. barely poking up from a really tough ride, and I, um, 
I was drawn to Callie for sure. And you were there. Callie was there a lot. And I, <laughs> we were both there. Like I was there like four mm-hmm. times a week. You were probably there like five or six times a week. It was five or six. And like, I, I don't know. I remember the people who I saw there a lot. I still remember and recognize, but because I did see Margot so much, I was like, mm, the pe- people who come here a lot, a lot have some other like stuff going on in their that life and I, yeah <laughs> and I respect that like she continues to show up and like this is I saw so much strength immediately in Margot um even just watching her because it's weird being in those classes it can be hard to make conversation and approach people so I think for a long time you end up getting watched and you end up watching these people that you're just inspired by and sort of intrigued by, but don't ever make a connection for a while. So how yeah, and, how did how did it work that you know over time eventually you ended up deciding to collaborate together on a business? Uh, how did how did that how long did that take of, of of chatting and getting to know each other? And um, can you share a little bit more about that process? I remember thinking, I want to hire her. I don't know what she does, but I did a lot in my previous job, a lot of hiring of young people. And so I feel like I'm a bit of a talent scout. But when I see someone who is making their way from really sick to like super healthy in a relatively short amount of time, I, I really thought this girl's fierce. This, this young, you know, Kelly is probably 25 years younger than me, 20 something years. We never even really counted, but I I saw this person and I thought, wow, whatever she does for a living, I want to, I want to hire her and um, I want to hire her. She's hired for whatever she does. (laughs) Secret agent. Which then I did start talking about what I did. And I was so I'd asked her. Yeah. I wasn't super happy with that schedule. Like working at, you know, midnight, one in the morning just drains you for everything else in your life. You have no emotional capacity. Physically, you're exhausted. To push through that, it was, it's difficult. And doing it consistently and as regularly as I was doing it just wasn't healthy for me. But and we what, did start talking about what I did. And, and, and what was it that you were doing at, at midnight? What work were you doing? Uh, I'm a pastry chef. So yeah, being a pastry chef, we get there a lot earlier than people think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not a simple, easy process by any means. So you decided to collaborate together. Um, how, did you, how did you land on starting a vegan food truck? We threw around a lot of ideas. We ha- I mean, we still have a ton of ideas. It was hard to narrow it down. And I don't know how, I mean, ultimately Margot ended up making that decision. And I'm not sure how she was able to do that. <laughs> I think that we talked about food and we mm-hmm. talked about healing and you were really open about your struggles and your recovery. And we instantly just started talking about the healing power of food and how important it is and how we both have like a a desire to make a difference and do something what we consider good Mm -hmm. in some way and I'm a mom and I love making the kids eat healthy food and let's be efficient and you know not just eating but also the whole food system 
is an issue. And so we got inspired but by having a similar passion for, um, for eating well and eating yummy, not just, not, not just trying not to eat certain things, but actually trying to really enjoy the pleasure of eating mm-hmm. while, you know, doing it in a responsible way. Mm-hmm. I guess responsible. Yeah. Making choices that are sustainable for body and planet. Mm-hmm. So we'd have a lot of conversations about like, what about this? And what about that? And what, how much we love eating, mm-hmm. how much we really do love eating, you know, and everything that Callie's been through with eating could fill a book. I'm sure. Um, it's complicated and it was hard, like figuring that out and Also, it's such a like creative outlet for me. Putting that up for sale is hard. Like saying, this is something that I created just from inspiration that I find. And it's like a piece of art and having people judge it essentially and like (laughs) dissect it and critique is hard. And I, I had struggled the whole time figuring out if I was mentally prepared for that we got yeah it's like people are reviewing us and it's the it's the business but it feels very personal because we are so passionate about it I think <laughs> so let's talk a little more about the the, the original vision for Starseed um, and also the name um, can you share a little bit more about that the original vision it was, I think it was from, I would do, when they had the fun run at my kid's school, they were giving them bagels, <laughs> and I, you know, like to reward them or just how much, whatever food is available at school was where I started. And I was like, how about I'm going to start a smoothie table and offer green smoothies and give them to the kids, like, because food is supposed to give you energy and it's not a reward. It's actually, you know, I was really frustrated with the food system, with the schools and hoping to have an impact in that way. Mm-hmm. And I found myself overjoyed whenever I could put the green veggies into the children. <laughs> there was something about that that I was like, ooh, there's something here. Like, I feel joy doing this. I think that mm-hmm. was the seed. Um, and then Starseed, the name, is... Starseed is a term used in the new age community that describes those of us who feel like we might be galactic beings. Um, Again, it's a new age theory. I think it's fun. Mm -hmm. And I love the mystical in any tradition. And I love the idea of like, wait, I'm not really from here. Like I came here from another galaxy Oh, that explains so much. It was like just such a relief to feel like, oh, there's this term for those of us who maybe don't feel like we belong or even want to belong to what we consider to be conventional society. Um, so when somebody told me, oh, I think you're from the, the star Sirius, S-I-R-I-U-S. I am very serious in many ways, but you could, and they explained like, oh, beings from Sirius they're super heartfelt and really honest and um, on a mission. And I'm like, oh, that's me. And so it was this sense of identity and belonging that the term Starseed gave me. And I wanted to um, share that. And then also uh, seed. It's a seed of something to grow. 
seeds and plants and um, stars. I'm an astrologer. Um, it just seemed like a fun, a fun name. And Margot, what made you decide to make the food truck vegan? Not just vegetarian, but fully vegan. No animal products, no dairy. I think the challenge of it. Um, I am not strictly anything. I um, I don't identify as vegan specifically, but I love creative challenge. And mm-hmm. Callie um, was really into the vegan idea. It's like, how do we do this without any feta? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, how do you make food taste good without these, I feel like these crutches that we've come to rely on, mm-hmm. these animal products. And I wanted to um, have something different. And Bozeman at the time wasn't really, didn't really have many options in that area. But it's mostly the creative challenge that inspired me. And then also the ecological impact of animal products is um, an issue. So I so know, Margo, you don't consider yourself vegan, but Callie, you do consider yourself vegan, correct? Yeah, I've been vegetarian for a long time and I'm making my transition into vegan. I eat vegan. It's looking at everything else, all the products that you use. It takes a different level of awareness to look into that and to even care because it's easy to go and pick up whatever deodorant or pair of shoes or sweatshirt and not look or know. And I was like that for so long and now it's becoming more of a habit for me to check and at least inquire. And I'm making an informed decision then if I know and I look into it. But a lot, I don't think a lot of people like want to even look at it. <laughs> So you're thinking about yeah. both your food choices, but also your non-food choices and whether they're mm-hmm. made with animal products or not. Yeah. What's, what's been the hardest, um, I, I guess, in the transition of going vegetarian to vegan, what's been sort of the hardest thing to give up that is an animal product? Hmm. Well, working in a bakery, everything has butter and eggs and milk. And even though like as a, a vegetarian, I'm lactose intolerant, so I wasn't consuming a lot of like cheese and dairy as it was. But baking wise, it's hard. I can eat bread now. I think sort of giving up um, a lot of the treats, and for a different reason than what my eating disorder reason used to be. I've had to evaluate that so much. Making any dietary change or transition as somebody with a past severe eating disorder, you have to analyze it and say, am I doing this so that when we go out, I can eat less so that when I'm confronted with this pastry or thing that used to scare me and tell me that, you know, this is going to make you a bad person. Is that why I'm avoiding it? So it's taken a lot of like looking at my reasons for becoming vegan or changing anything in my diet. I think that's been difficult, but I would say any pastry stuff, stuff that's baked into it, even if I don't eat it by itself, it's like, ah, sometimes like that chocolate chip cookie just looks really good. And there's some broken pieces on our snack tray. And (laughs) I'm very familiar with the chocolate chip cookies at Wild Crumb Bakery. Um, uh, A little too familiar. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the, you know, having the word vegan in the name of the food truck. Um, Mm -hmm. Was it obvious to use the word vegan in the name? And, you know, have you had any different thoughts since then? Um, 
question for both of you. We struggled with that for a while. And I think still waffle with like, should it be more plant-based? I think, and I know Margo, you and I discussed this, but we didn't really realize sort of the stigma that's associated with the word vegan. Um, But Margo, you can speak more to that. (laughs) Yeah, it felt like vegan was a good descriptor Mm -hmm. um, because plant-based is still a little more niche, uh, but everyone knows what vegan is, but it is a trigger. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's irritating to people. Mm. I get it. <laughs> I don't there's even a, like saying it sometimes. Yeah, I don't like admitting a, to people in Montana. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of a self righteous vibe there that we don't want. We want fun. Mm-hmm. We want to have a good time, and mm-hmm. nobody's judged for their lifestyle choices. We just want to make yummy food that mm-hmm. is magically no animal products in it. And whatever you eat before or after, you don't have to be anything. Just come and enjoy this fun food. But yeah, the word vegan, I didn't realize like how much um, rancor uh, is associated with it. Mm-hmm. And Margo, what made you decide rather than buy a used food truck to have one built out specifically for you? I wanted it to be super clean. I didn't want any, uh, I didn't want a deep fryer. I didn't want fry grease and I didn't want meat grease in it. I wanted it to be as clean as possible. And are you happy with how it turned out? No, I would redesign the whole truck now. (laughs) Now what I know, but I didn't know anything. I'd never worked in a commercial kitchen before and I didn't really know what, um, what I was doing at all. So now I, now I have a good idea. I would redesign it, but it is, it's a pretty cool little truck. So what, what's works. one, what's one thing you would have done differently? Just sort of one glaring design change you would have made now that you know what you know. I would, um, I would have refused the double size freezer that they accidentally put in because it t- takes up too much space. Um, and we don't have very much counter space. Mm-hmm. So I would have stood for what I originally asked for instead of letting, they were like, oops, we put in a double size freezer. We won't charge you extra. You get twice the freezer size. I think that's why we might switch it into an ice cream truck once we mm-hmm. grow our fleet. I would have had more, yeah, counter space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Callie, anything you, anything you, you would have done differently now that you uh, have spent so much time in there? The counter space would have been nice. Um, And also some sort of shelving system. I feel like there's a lot of wasted space where we could, we could still do it, but put in a way to keep it more organized and have more of a a system and a flow within the truck. So like the cold things are on the cold side where all the produce is and everything. And then hot side, you can have everything you need prepped that you just need to throw in that you're frying up or whatever, or baking, and just the flow of it, definitely. I might have gotten a better oven if I had really known yeah. that the cheap oven is not good for baking, and we we aspire to do more baking. The temperature um, difference some days was like 50 degrees. You'd set yeah. it, <laughs> you know, 450, it'd only go to 400. Like, what? Yeah. 
Or it's like burnt at the back and uncooked at the front. It's so stupid. Oh, yeah. I would have I would have thrown down for a better oven if I'd known. <laughs> So you opened this past March, uh, literally right before we had our lockdown here in Bozeman. What were those first few weeks like? Cold. <laughs> they were still cold here. Yeah. And cold. we kept, remember, we kept blowing the fuse at the cafe because yeah. we're plugged in at this cafe and we blew the fuse like numerous times trying to run Stacey. Like they're going to hate us. We're never going to be able to stay here. They're going to be like, we're done with that food truck. Too much trouble. <laughs> you're plugged in a tree line right yeah mm-hmm. so what were some of the first um, menu items that you were offering <laughs> toast. <laughs> we made some of our own bread we had toast we were playing with a lot of ideas we just would throw stuff out there and it was like see if people like this hopefully <laughs> the toast yeah the toast was a big we wanted to do toast and we had gluten-free fun. breads that yeah. we made and seed breads and then all these different toppings. There's a lot um, of options. It seemed simple at the time, but as with most things, we complicated it because we have too many ideas. <laughs> we fully complicated it. And when you said, I laughed when you said menu items because uh, it might have been three months before we even had a menu. Mm-hmm. Like people would just come up, they'd be like, do you have a menu? We'd say, no, we don't have time to make a menu. We we're just making all this food. So how would you decide what to make if you didn't have a menu? You would just have customers come up and ask them what they felt like eating? How did you, how did that work? Well, Margo would buy stuff. She did our grocery shopping and we sort mm-hmm. of had like our staples to start from. I mean, sort of sprouting from the toast. It was like, we had all this stuff. But then she'd bring something in totally random, like black sesame seed, you know, butter. And you're like, what do I do with this? So it was sort of the ingredients that felt inspiring to me, at least. I was like, what could I do with this that nobody would think of that's going to be really surprisingly good? Like, that's what I like to do is the shock and awe factor is like, you made this with this? Mm. How? Like, I love mm. that. Mm-hmm. That's one of Callie's geniuses but also I felt like now I realize it that we're talking about it that not having a menu gave me an opportunity to sell directly to the people and Mm -hmm. there's a salesperson in me when I'm inspired by something so it's like don't just stand there quietly and read like we could interact and I can tell Mm -hmm. you everything we have I feel like the menu might have been like a barrier to the connection that we were creating with the people because it wasn't busy. It wasn't mm-hmm. like we had a lineup of 10 people waiting for their thing. We had one person every 20 minutes. And so there was time to say, Oh, what, what do you think? What about mm-hmm. this? And we could actually create relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, cause we also was part of the mission. Totally. And that was sort of my thing. Um, having worked in kitchens for a while and then being at wild crumb we would get a lot of requests for gluten-free or flour-free, vegan, and we didn't have a lot of options. And as somebody who has been vegetarian for a long time, who's tried to go out and can't really get anything or whoever's making it seems sort of mad at you, it's not a fun going out experience. And so that was part of it for me. I just wanted it to be inclusive. I wanted anyone to come and be able to say, well, I can't really have this and I have this allergy. 
and for us to work with them, it was another challenge, which we love. So it was like an added challenge, dietary restrictions. Sure. I love that. <laughs> yeah. We get excited actually. Mm-hmm. So it'd be the opposite <laughs> of when you go to a regular restaurant, you're like, I can't eat this. I can't eat this. And they're like, Rah. but we'd be like, and you can't eat what? Oh my gosh, all they can have is white rice and zucchini. We got this. Like we can make, <laughs> we can make the it best good. Lunch. <laughs> yes. Let's make it yummy. Yeah, we found that really fun and and there was tears with pe- I don't know like we would there was crying and hugging and a little girl who had her first ice cream ever in her life, a 5-year-old watching that. <laughs> it was so beautiful. <laughs> I don't know how you can't not start crying like uh, I was touched by it. Um, yeah. And That's people, because she, could, she was, couldn't have ice cream. She, could, she, she was able to find a dairy-free ice cream at your truck where she mm-hmm. couldn't eat ice cream elsewhere because she couldn't eat dairy. Is it? Well, and I recognize this too. A lot of people are very aware of like what they're putting in their own bodies. And then we get a lot of parents who, like Margot, want to promote healthy eating and from an early age. And so this one is her, I think it was her mom was just super strict about what she consumed, no artificial, anything, um, very pure food. And so it was like, you're not going to go even dairy-free, get a cart of ice cream at the store and there not be all these artificial ingredients and preservatives and sort of like junk in a different sense. Um, And so to be able to provide as like whole food as we were able to provide, I think was important for people as well. Even you know, minus the vegan or vegetarian aspect. I think just well, the other piece, foods. yeah, the piece is whole foods. And the other piece, and there's no word for it, is we're staying away from white sugar. Mm-hmm. And that's a radical but crazily obvious um, thing to be offering. White sugar being one of the least beneficial things that we consume in vast amounts. It seems crazy and to how me. Addicting so, is. Yeah. And so it's the white sugar piece that we can, we made ice cream. It wasn't just vegan, but there's no mm-hmm. sugar in it. It was sweetened with maple syrup or agave. And, and the natural where, like strawberries, fruit. Yeah. How did, how did, um, you know, starting your business right before, um, you know, COVID hit, how did that impact the kind of foods that you were offering? I felt like we were inspired by COVID to offer, like to offer this food even more as an immune boosting. Medicinal. Um, medicinal food. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. That, an immunity booster that you're just priming your system to, you know, fight off this inevitable <laughs> crazy pandemic. Yeah. Have there been any COVID silver linings? So for example, do you think that you may have gotten more business from the fact that some people didn't want to and still don't uh, want to go inside restaurants right now? I feel like we did, we got a lot of attention. I think it was great that we were outside and that was a piece, but I think also that with the COVID people are, People are bored. People aren't just traveling as much. They're not going out as much. It's like, oh, it's a new thing. We were a new thing. I think that that was beneficial um, to offer something new. And then there was a fair amount of travelers that came through. And that was a big support to us because 
um, vegan eating is very popular in big cities. Mm-hmm. So there was a fair amount of travelers coming through that would just Google where's the vegan food. And we got, um, we got some attention that way. And I think we really were a draw for people who were particularly sensitive, who still wanted to get food out or needed to like um, the guy and the newborn baby, like, mm. get, you know, taking food to his wife who had a newborn baby, like people who are in super sensitive, compromising sort of situations, it's a safer place than getting food in a restaurant. So it was nice to offer that. Mm -hmm. And then we have, there was a a couple of clients who shared that they were on a cancer journey Mm -hmm. and that this was like, or they were bringing food to a friend who had just had chemo or, you know, that there was, there, there was that, that we're offering. I'm inspired to grow that piece of it to support, like Callie said, people in sensitive condition. So so it sounds like a a lot of your customers were were not just strictly folks who consider themselves vegan. It was a lot of folks who were just wanting to eat clean. Is that Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the idea. And then people who wanted to impress their girlfriend especially their girlfriend by, you know, there was that piece of like, oh, my girlfriend's going to think I'm so cool if I bring her to the vegan food truck. Oh, yeah. And I actually was surprised too, the number of uh, like younger people, college kids who their parents were in town, like bringing them, dropping them off to school. And they introduced them to this idea of vegan in Montana because it's not Mm -hmm. anything that these parents had ever tried. It was like this trendy, weird thing that their kid was doing but then they tried it and were actually pretty surprised and liked it. <laughs> so I'd love to dig in a little bit to hear more about each of your professional backgrounds prior to launching the food truck. Um, what skill sets uh, did each of you bring to the table and how were you dividing up responsibilities in the truck? So I worked at a whitewater rafting company for 17 years. So my skill sets are... people. I like to share something that I love. I'm good at choosing amazing employees. (laughs) I love messaging and um, creating community. Um, And I believe in that creativity could be a path to making, making this, this road towards sustainability fun. Mm. fun doing something good but also making it fun I think that's that's um yeah and I'm a visionary and I I can I believe I believe that if we follow our hearts and do what we love that we can create something magical and cool and fun and lovable Um, and I love cooking at home, but I'd had no experience in a commercial kitchen. I'd been a waitress a couple of times, always fired. (laughs) I just never, never succeeded in that area, but I always love making yummy, healthy food. Mm -hmm. And I can sell when I believe in something, I'm pretty good at selling. So yeah, Margo's the people person, the promoter. (laughs) <laughs> well, you're a, you kind of talk to me like that, but Callie's got a great way with people too. But yeah, I think that's, that's what I brought to the equation. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I had the kitchen background. I started in kitchens when I lived in uh, Maryland with my parents. I took a break from college. Um, it was just overwhelming. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I, psychology, but then mainly to fix my own issues or to like figure myself out. Um, and that wasn't enough for me to stick with it. So I started at a small coffee shop in Tacoma Park, Maryland, and just fell in love with it. I was grateful that somebody was willing to take me on and teach me about baking. I had baked at home, but I never thought that I would have a job as a baker or let alone a career. Um, And so I initially got into baking, but I also was back and forth between treatment centers and sort of still figuring my stuff out. But I worked in a couple different kitchens in Bozeman. I worked at Unknotted when it was a restaurant and then Lot G and at Elle's Bells because I was primarily interested in pastry. Something always, there was a draw with pastry. It was beautiful. It was delicious. It felt like it had it, it had it all. Um, but as I began to live a pastry chef life, I sort of noticed it wasn't going to be sustainable for me. It wasn't the way I wanted to live. I was super tired all the time. I ate way too much sugar. I didn't feel good. Um, and so I, I felt like I got a lot of encouragement from Margot that I was capable enough to pursue something else that wasn't already established. I always felt like I had to sort of like fall into whatever job was available because I couldn't take the initiative or I just didn't believe that I had that in me to take the initiative and make a career for myself. Um, and so doing Starseed, I've felt very empowered to do that. And it's helped me branch out into other things that I feel like will be more sustainable. As much as I love pastry, I want to make it vegan, like healthy. Like if I could eat dessert as a meal every day, I would. So I'm figuring out how I can do do that. (laughs) That It includes vegetables that are sort of hidden, um, but it's opened up this whole creative process that I hadn't had because I didn't believe that I could pull it off, that I had the skill set that I was capable. Um, But kitchens in general were unhealthy for me for a while. And so being empowered to create my own healthy kitchen environment and a good career mm. for myself was a big part of Starseed in the Kelly, summer. Kelly, can you say a little more when you say kitchen environments were unhealthy? Um, I think in general, kitchen people tend to overwork themselves. Like, even though I, my job at Wild Crumb, they encourage you to take breaks. <laughs> they want you to take care of yourself. But just the way that a lot of, I think, chef types are, we can be a little bit harsh on ourselves and always feel like we're proving something. There's a lot of ego involved. And so it's hard to take a break, even when you're encouraged to. So I just think like you're overworked, whether your work is doing it to you or you're doing it to yourself. Um, A lot of the time, the kitchen is sort of dysfunctional in the way that people talk to each other 
and and we struggled with this even in our small <laughs> space with the two of us, but at least it was the two of us and we could work it out. When you're in that with a bunch of other people, you don't have the time to work through each and every person's like interpersonal issues. Um, and so I think it can create a lot of tension and a lot of just unhappiness that ends up like there's anger and people are cooking angry and pissed off at so-and-so and nothing comes out as good. It just doesn't. Margo, is it true that mm. inside Starseed, sometimes you called Callie Gordon Ramsay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like, thanks for bringing that up, Callie. Like the piece of the energetics of what mm-hmm. we really wanted to create was um, good energy in a kitchen, which is one of the reasons I don't like to eat out very much. Cause I do feel that cooks can be angry and under, you know, nurtured and you can, I'm very sensitive so I can feel it. So yeah, I wanted to create an environment where we could work through because we're still human. We're still going to get pissed off. We're still going to get frustrated, overwhelmed and, things are still going to happen, but how do we make it the most healthy environment emotionally that we can? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Callie cares so much. I mean, that's what I loved about when she was mad. It was because of how, you know, she felt like it wasn't, we weren't doing it perfect enough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was where the Gordon Ramsay thing came is Mm because Callie cared so much and, I love that. And it was something that was worth working through that, you know, when that would become like a trigger, Mm -hmm. Um, there's the perfectionist kind of characteristic. I think that does go along with eating disorder, personality types. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a perfectionism there and that can be, that can be an even worse disease than anything else. Um, But at the same time, I really appreciated her level of care that she put, you know, towards everything that we created and, and that her ability to make things beautiful was um, something that I really love. I really just love, like, she wanted to take the extra couple of minutes to make the donut all perfectly decorated and people would get it like, oh, wow, you know, that with that mm-hmm. extra feeling of love and care, um, but that when things were too busy and there wasn't enough time to put the care into each, you know, dish that, yeah, she would get all Gordon Ramsay. (laughs) And 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 I laugh now, but it was, it was good work to work through Mm -hmm. that stuff. And just in case any listeners are wondering what's the deal with donuts after we've just talked about sugar, um, how are your donuts (laughs) sweetened? Maple Maple syrup. syrup. Maple syrup. (laughs) So not very much. Yeah, and there's no flour. It's actually all oats and chia seeds. So mm-hmm. it's, that's yeah. There's nothing donuty about them except yeah. the shape. Yeah, <laughs> and except that they're delicious. Like <laughs> they sound delicious. Yeah. So Callie, when you when, when let's rewind a little bit. This summer, when you were when you for about three months, uh, you were working um, as a pastry chef at Wild Crumb, but and mm-hmm. and also as a chef of Starseed. What was your schedule like during that crazy overlap? Oh, hard to keep track of. Uh, and it would change every month. Uh, my schedule at Wild Crumb changed pretty consistently, but I had requested, I was like, look, I'm doing this food truck. 
I need these hours. And they're like, are you sure that's going to be okay? Because my plan and what ended up happening was I worked 1am to around 8am in the morning for wild crumb doing pastry. I needed an outlet. I still needed to feel like I was taking care of myself and making myself a priority. So I would jet off to the gym really quick in between and come back and be at the food truck around 9.30-ish most days and then work 9.30 until whenever we were done, which on average was around 4, 4.30. Um, and so it was crazy. I didn't have time to take care of myself. It, and it spilled over into every other area of my life. <laughs> When but did I you wanted sleep? it uh, <laughs> when I could sort of squeeze it in. Um, <laughs> and it, uh, I had to prioritize sleep in a whole different way. And I'm not a person who naps. I tried, but it was like, maybe I'll just find a quiet activity. I just had a hard time sleeping during the day or if I had a moment to sleep. Um, it's not my favorite thing to do. And I felt like, it was worth sort of, I knew it was going to be temporary. Like knowing that it was going to be temporary, I felt like it was worth it being able to be at all these places and to do all these jobs because they are so important to me. Um, so that for a temporary time, I was willing to do that. So your shift started at 1 a.m. At, at Wild Crumb. What time did you go to bed? If I was doing well, I would be in bed around 7:30 ish if that was like that was a good night um but typically on average it was around 8 or 9 9:30 and you were also teaching kickboxing during this time when we when were you doing yeah. that oh my well <laughs> it sort of started to get spread thin but i teach at 5 a.m. um and so i would do it on the days that i only had the food truck so it was like, oh, if I'm only doing Starseed, then I'll teach at 5 a.m., get myself together and go in a little bit later. But it still felt like a break <laughs> from the wild crumb Starseed combo. So it was usually a combination of jobs, but on the days that I only had one. Margo, when did you close for the season? October 16th. And when you look back on this, this first year, um, are you satisfied with how it went? Absolutely. I'm so impressed. I learned a lot personally, and I guess I could say professionally. It was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really surprised that we were so well received and we made so many good contacts and we, we had a great time. I think we had a lot of fun too. Mm -hmm. um, because Callie and I are both really funny people and we would laugh hard mm -hmm. in there. <laughs> and that was like what made it, I think what made it a really great experience. So I think it was successful mm -hmm. for our first, um, first time. And now I have an, a better idea of what, of how to plan. Well, next. it is nice because you're not going to get to that point of feeling like you're prepared until you go through it, there's no amount of planning on paper that we could have done to figure out the glitches and the challenges. We mm -hmm. had to experience it. 
all the little That's things true. like, oh, the propane's out. <laughs> oh, the, oh, the plumbing. I, I learned a lot about plumbing and, oh, the, you know, the power, the electrical system and just mm-hmm. so many details. And, oh, the truck's tilted because it's a, like one side of the street is higher than the other. And all our brownies are like high on one side. <laughs> just all these tiny but really, like everything, there were so many issues and details. Even driving the truck was, I was terrified at first driving the truck. And now I feel like I could go anywhere. I feel pretty good about bringing it to festivals, hopefully, or yeah. when, when we can gather again, you know, making it more mobile, using the generator. <laughs> we, had, we had a generator. A generator. I was really intimidated. To use the generator turns and, out it's pretty easy yeah some guy we had to get a guy to come show us like how to press the on button basically He's like you just flip the switch done we're like oh we're so grateful to have some guy show us how to press the on button just yeah. stuff like that a lot of we're a lot of times worst case scenario would happen and we still worked through it and that was the thing to me it was like all right we've already gone through all this Whatever else happens, we're going to be okay. Like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Were you profitable in your first season? Um, a little bit. Tiny. Tiny profitable. But there was a lot of investment. So I can't mm-hmm. really say no. Truthfully, no, based on the startup costs. Mm-hmm. But if I, put out the, if I took out the startup costs, we're a little bit profitable. And was there anything you had to, to compromise on um, when you think about your original vision for the truck um, and then sort of the reality um, of day-to-day? Um, yeah. I think that part of, like, the schedule of getting the local vegetables was challenging um, because that is on someone else's schedule, and it didn't always sometimes I was too exhausted to go to the farmer's market. I, w- I wanted to be more um, efficient with, in the beginning we had a farmer who was delivering to the truck and that was awesome because with all the other shopping and errands and everything. Um, and then when that ended because of the, the Bridger fire affected the Foothills fire affected the, one of the main farms that we were using. Oh, wow. And I, I wished I could have been more, um, had more coordination with the, with the local farmers. That would have been cool. And then again, like buying, I wanted it to be all organic. And um, sometimes the cost was challenging with that, especially with uh, products like nuts. Nuts can be a huge difference, organic or conventional nuts. Mm-hmm. So some of those things I'm, I'm still curious about how to, uh, so I really do want it to be a hundred percent organic. So that what, is the goal. What items ended up being most popular? You said you were originally starting with toast. You've talked about donuts. What, what, what items, if you think about, you know, the whole duration of this first season, uh, what do you think were the big winners? Grilled cheese. <laughs> Grilled cheese. And tell us about your cheese. And wraps. Mm, mm-hmm. The burritos were popular too, or any sort of wrap. Because Margot had the brilliant idea of putting kitchery in a wrap, and people really seem to enjoy that. Um, that that's how we met. 
Yeah, the kitchery wrap. (laughs) That's how we met. That was delicious. Tell us what is kitchery for for those who might not be as familiar. Um, Kitchery is Ayurvedic food that is basically lentils, rice, and vegetables. And it, according to Ayurveda, Indian traditional medicine, it is the most easily digestible food possible. So people with digestion issues um, can use kitchery to calm and nurture. It's very nurturing to the digestive system. So it's split, split mung beans um, and white rice, basmati rice, and cooked vegetables with the spices, with the mm-hmm. nurturing spices. So the idea that spices are medicinal is fun um, and true. <laughs> and and Margo, the, the, so, yeah. cheese, the cheese in your grilled cheese, tell us about that. Callie, Callie's got the cheese. <laughs> well, <laughs> when we were doing poutine for a hot second, Ooh, we, oh, did, yeah. <laughs> we did poutine when we first started because we're like, with oh, no awesome. fryer. Yeah, with no yeah. fryer for the fr- like the potatoes. It was like, we'll bake them. People will come. They'll want it. But keeping that hot was a struggle. But that was the initial sort of inspiration for cheese, for making our own cheese also. Because being lactose intolerant, I had tried a bunch of the cheese alternatives, and they were never quite what I wanted. It was never quite satisfying. So I looked into, Margot sort of uh, asked me to look into how to make it. And I have, uh, my stepdad is a scientist. I trust him. He's tried out a million different experimental recipes. And so I asked him and he sent me one and I was like, Ooh, okay, let's try this, but I'll tweak this, this, and this. (laughs) So I tried it. It was the most magical chemistry like concoction because there you look at it and it's liquid you're like there's no way this is going to be cheese how does this become cheese and as the cooking process is what makes it a gooey mozzarella consistency and then I met I played with the flavoring and I still am um but to create sort of different flavors within it for it to be satisfying as a grilled cheese for kids to like it um, I was self-conscious of it for a while because it is not a tr- like a traditional looking <laughs> the cheese at all, but it's delicious. Um, it's cashew based. Yeah. So it's soaked cashews, uh, tapioca starch is the main, the main thing that gives it the cheesy sort of texture, uh, or like a gooey, more queso-y sort of texture. Um, but the more you cook it, the longer you cook it, the more solid it becomes. So the small batches made the best mozzarella, I would say, because it was, it was like fresh mozzarella. It looked like that. It was, it was fun to work with. It was cool to collaborate too. The ugly onion came in and we did pizza collaboration with them. And that was, it was a lot of fun as somebody who hasn't had a good pizza (laughs) in a really long time. And to experience that, yeah. Speaking of other pop-ups and other trucks in the area, have have you had other collaboration uh, with other Bozeman area uh, food trucks? It was primarily the Ugly Onion, but they were our neighbors. Um, They came in uh, at Treeline as their location, 
And we were curious. And then we started to think about, well, how could we change the menu to complement pizza? Like what goes with pizza? And actually they were at a couple of special events that we did where we also had to consider that. Um, are we going to do a different menu? Because there's pizza here. <laughs> and pizza, you know, people are going to get pizza. What could we offer that goes with that? Which is how we sort of started doing the ice cream, actually. Because it had always been an idea, but until pizza was in the picture, <laughs> it's just like, now we can do ice cream. <laughs> Callie, you said yesterday um, that feeding other people has helped you feed yourself. Can you share more? Yeah. Um, that was always a struggle. I was talking to my parents about that and they were like, well, you've always loved to cook. I was like, yeah, I loved cooking for other people, but it was difficult for me to take that in for myself. I didn't feel like I was worth it. I didn't feel that I was worth having nutrients. Um, but watching other people and sort of recognizing where we're just human and you just need it. And being able to provide that for other people and watching them allow themselves to take that in, I had to have that sort of mm, role model. And even if it wasn't somebody that I knew, just somebody who appreciated what I was doing, then it was like, oh, okay, well, I provided this for someone else to be able to go about their day and live their life. And that was valuable. And in order for me to keep doing that, I have to <laughs> like fuel myself. I can't give from a place of emptiness. So that was really where the connection started to happen for me is I just wasn't capable physically anymore. My body was shutting down. Um, I was constantly in fear that my heart was just going to stop. Um, and I wouldn't be there for the people that I really cared about. And that was my motivator for a really long time until I wanted to live just for myself and to be able to experience traveling and all of the things that I love to do. But it took doing it for other people and repeatedly watching people eat things that I was like, I'll never be allowed to eat that. I can make it, but I'm not going to allow myself to eat it watching other people and feeling like I wasn't genuinely connecting with them because I couldn't have this, but they could felt not authentic or genuine. So it was a big barrier to me connecting with people. And I love, I love connecting with people. Kelly, have there been any additional factors that have supported your progress towards being healthy and, and avoiding relapses? I think the kickboxing community Definitely did. And when they closed, I was pretty devastated. It was um, just a big family. And you always knew that you had somebody there watching out for you. Um, and so finding that community again was very important for me. Finding that physical outlet and still feeling like I had that as sort of an anchor, like no matter what stressors I had or what was going on in my like professional life, my personal life, I had this anchor of this empowering activity, which was kickboxing. Um, and I would say being more open about my struggles, keeping it hidden and feeling like I was protecting my family and my friends by not sharing was detrimental 
for my recovery because I was still in the mindset that like, I'm the sick one. You can't share this part of yourself with anyone. You're going to be judged. Whatever it was created that barrier to connection again. And so now I'm very honest about it. (laughs) Um, My family knows where I'm at all the time um, in that process because it's a continuous process. And I just want to feel like people can talk about it and not be alone with it. Um, so sharing with other people has been huge for me. Do you think there is more openness to talking about anorexia and other eating disorders now than maybe five years ago or 10 years ago? I would say so. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of progress and even like through my journey, which was about seven years of it being pretty severe, um, the amount that I talk about it, and I know has changed, but just I've seen in social media and, you know, people who are famous speaking up about some of their struggles um, and just bringing it more into the light because it is so common and in ways that aren't glaringly obvious. It's a lot of small things that I think a lot of people end up doing that are normal but is sort of, I don't know, a crutch or a maladaptive way of coping with struggles in life. And how do you not let it snowball and completely take over your life? Because that's what happened for me. It felt like every little small thing just sort of added up to the point where I couldn't recognize what was normal for me. I couldn't have any intuition with eating. I didn't feel like I could trust myself because I had gone against what my body was telling me for so long. And so I think a lot of the little things that normal eaters do on a day-to-day basis are, can be with the right person sort of detrimental. So talking about those and like even bringing up my coworkers sometimes are like, well, I didn't really eat lunch today or like what I didn't sit down and have a meal that becomes sort of the norm, but how do you not let it, I don't know, become dysfunctional? Both of you have uh, quite a lot going on uh, aside from starseed, as if that weren't enough. Um, Margot, can you share a little bit more about what's keeping you busy when you're not at the truck? Well, I have two kids. That's a lot of work to make them good people or to try to support them to be the good people that they already are. <laughs> um, but I'm an, I'm astrology. I do astrology readings and um, I am always studying and learning and uh, developing my skills. So yeah, that's where the name came from too is in the beginning we, I didn't know if we'd have anybody coming for food. So I put like free astrology advice, like just come up to the truck and start chatting. <laughs> so in the beginning, people would be like, oh yeah, okay, we could do some of that. That's really my fascination right now. Aside from all the chores of living. Mm-hmm. And I know you also own a, uh, co-own a yoga studio and healing center uh, in Ennis. Uh, for those who don't live in Montana, can you paint a picture of what Ennis is like as a town and a community? Mm-hmm. 
Ennis, Montana is very small and it's very um, cowboy, cow woman, cow people. <laughs> um, but it's also a worldwide fly fishing destination. So it has a fair amount of billionaires and millionaires in that neighborhood in the, su in the summer. But it is very um, conservative town. Like I like to say, the yoga studio is located in between a gun shop and a gun repair shop. <laughs> and what it's inspired you? Like, Sorry, go ahead. What inspired me to, to do that was my part, my business partner who lives in Ennis is a yoga teacher and massage therapist. And it was right after the uh, 2016 election that we thought it would just be good to have a storefront and uh, plant a flag for for uh, alternative ways of being in a very, what we call, I guess, a red town. So mm -hmm. we wanted to just have a sanctuary for healing in a place that we thought needed it, which it has. It has been very well received. And that was the idea too with this, the food truck would be like, wouldn't it be fun to go to some super small towns and just um, offer, offer a good time and connect, connect like across the, across the aisle, as they say, with people who we imagine don't necessarily have the same belief system. I really, I really enjoy that when people would come to the truck who we wouldn't expect. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it was, uh, that was always a pleasure um, to explore, like the diversity of all of us mm -hmm. and, and heal that thing that America is struggling with so much. And the us and them mentality. Mm -hmm. And Callie, I know that you also have a lot going on besides Starseed. Um, you've, of course, mentioned your, um, your, your work at Wild Crumb. What else is keeping you busy these days? Yeah, so I... I'm working there more. It's holiday season. We have a lot to pre prepare for, um, which is fun. I love the challenge of that too, is the quantity, the amount that comes out of that kitchen is insane. So that's fun. Um, and then I also am still teaching kickboxing just a couple times a week, but I love it. Um, so they've reopened? Yeah. So we reopened. We have very small classes. It's a studio. Um, we don't usually have a problem with social distancing normally, even before COVID. And now, you know, we were doing kickboxing outside when it was nice, which I felt very privileged to be able to offer people. Um, but yes, as of right now, <laughs> we're still operational. And so that, I like that. It's, it gets me up. I do that on my days off from Wild Crumb. And then I also am sort of dipping my toe in and seeing what being a personal chef is like. And that has been, I've already learned so much and it's only been a couple of weeks. So <laughs> I'm grateful for that opportunity. Um, but yeah, I like to keep busy and always culinary exploration constantly. So when, when you open, reopen Starseed uh, in the spring, is there anything that you think you'll do differently in terms of different items you'll offer, different strategy, different location? Is there anything that you uh, think you'll be doing uh, now, that you all, now that you both know what you know from this season? 
a lot, a little yeah. bit different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think focusing, I think we're going to do more treats, more ice cream. That's just, and simplify. We had a lot of stuff on the menu this summer, a lot of different things that, and it was fairly stressful. I'd like to make this, find a way to streamline it. I'd like to even experiment with being just a treat truck because who doesn't love treats? And the white sugar thing is a, is still I'm I'm still experimenting in the kitchen actually last night I made this um uh ice cream the richest vegan ice cream I've ever made with and I use a mint flavor that is chlorophyll so mm. the green of the ice cream is chlorophyll it's a veggie that you're eating when you eat this ice cream <laughs> so yeah I think the treat thing is really inspiring and having um I don't know like an ice cream truck Ding, ding. Wouldn't that be fun? Drive around. Hopefully the, you know, those restrictions will be limited, lifted and we could do more events. I feel more confident um, signing up for farmer's markets and Mm -hmm. um, being more available in different locations. What's the base base of your super creamy uh, non-dairy ice cream? It's coconut milk, cashew, and then it has the secret ingredients, cacao butter. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. That makes it super rich. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Margot, knowing what you know now about the challenges of opening a food truck, uh, would you do it all over again? Only for this purpose. I wouldn't just do it just with regular food, but it's the purpose behind it that's really kept me motivated um, and the creativity piece. I liked when you asked me before, like, would I have done it if I'd known how much work it was? And I was like, no, I would have never done it. That's why Especially I su- if I'd known. I was surprised that we even did it because I sort of felt like I had a better I- idea of how difficult it was going to be. But it was almost good yeah. that Margot didn't know that because I don't know if anything would have ever gotten off the ground. No, <laughs> it's like having children. Like, would you have done it if you knew how much work it was? No, you wouldn't do it guys out there please (laughs) I mean I love it but it it was such a challenge I don't think knowing that Callie kept her other job which I totally understand now I sort of imagined that I was going to be the creator and that Callie was going to be more available but because she wasn't available I ended up taking on this challenge and learning a lot and struggling a lot um, in a way that I wouldn't have planned it that way but it's it's uh now it made me more a more a knowledgeable owner I don't want to own a business and not how to know how to do every aspect of the business so do each of you that, Kelly. could e- could each of you share one piece of advice you might have for anyone who is excited about launching a food truck <sighs> um you got to be passionate. It's got to be something that you believe in. You can't just mm-hmm. think that you're going to make a bunch of money or that it's going to be easy. It's there has to be, money. no, there has to be a driving force behind the reason that you're doing it. Um, mm-hmm. It could be some people take a family tradition of cooking a certain food or, I mean, for us, it was really this plant-based revolution that we want to be part of. Um, so it's gotta be, there's gotta be something driving you so that when you start wondering why you're working so hard, 
you can watch one documentary about the food system and you're back on the job. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to have that fuel, that fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely say there has to be a passion there and just know it's not going to be easy that there are going to be days that you work longer and harder than you wanted to or anticipated um and expect the unexpected (laughs) there's bound to be something that comes up that you hadn't planned for and for me a lot of it too was this was a lot of my work with the food truck was being nice to myself when that happened, when there was something that happened that I would should myself about, Oh, you should have been prepared for this. You should know what to do in this situation, but just being as gentle as you can with yourself. And I think taking care of yourself emotionally and mentally is huge. Make prioritizing your own health is a big, big part of it and creating something sustainable. What do each of you think you'll be doing in five years' time? I'd like to have a fleet of vegan food trucks. Maybe we wouldn't call them vegan. Maybe we call them plant-based or something. I want a different one for all the different angles. I want a vegan junk food truck for going by the high school. I want our cleanse truck for you know the the chemo patients and the and the sensitive people i want i want to have like a fleet a little um that goes around to different areas especially in our in our region Mm -hmm. i think it'd be cool have one in livingston i think that would be really fun and get to that place where um we could expand I mean, five years might be a little too soon to have it for having a massive fleet, but I, I would love to see us grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to expand um, through Starseed and have multiple trucks and be able to compartmentalize all of these concepts and ideas so that they're more manageable and you have a specific team that's prepared to deal with this one idea because it's so expansive. So that would be great. And I also, just as a personal chef and in my like career journey, would love to be a personal chef, also do all the starseed things and teach kickboxing and sort of create my own schedule and essentially work for myself until I'm at a place where I feel confident owning <laughs> a business and... um I think I need to build up though the confidence and the sort of like Margot's like go-getter attitude has always impressed me. <laughs> Even if it was like, I don't really feel like I can do this on my own. What friend do I have that can support this getting done? Like it was always, how do we, you know, find a way to make this happen? And so I want to continue to be part of that and part of the inspiration and just to continue to make Montana more vegan friendly in whatever aspects. (laughs) Mm. I think in the end, what the goal is, is to build the community Mm and that Starseed has started to create because it's all really about community and food is the glue, I think, 
for community. And it brings people together. And when there are restrictions and people who have those limitations, it can be very disconnecting for people and create that barrier that sort of keeps a community from thriving. When, when there's restrictions due to COVID or people have individual dietary Just individual dietary restrictions. Yeah. Like I know people who won't go out with their families yeah. to eat and it's like mm-hmm. you're missing. It's not even about the food at that point. It's the connection that you're missing with your family and your friends. But because of the food or whatever limitations you have. Yeah. Remember there was a couple of, Kelly, remember the the daughters that would come with the parents and say, well, this, it seemed like, and you could point them out, like, this is a person with an eating disorder who's saying, Mm -hmm. mom and dad, this is the only place I'm going to eat. And you could sense like what it was for these families to kind of find a way to get their daughter to eat something. Mm -hmm. It was not just, it was not an isolated incident. It happened a couple of times that there was like, I don't know, I get all like, Oh, a way for parents to find like a way to, to hear what their children are trying to say, what they need. I do think that eating sensitivities or eating disorders, as we call them, I would like to say this is highly sensitive people. Mm-hmm. And in a way, maybe the people with the so-called disorder are actually have something to teach us. And they are more sensitive. And that's really what the name Starseed refers to is like this highly sensitive being who's here to share something with the people who are stuck in the day-to-day in the old way. Mm-hmm. So I, I just wanted to put that out there that the way we say eating disorder, I just want to honor that there's something really potent and wise in the people who are struggling in this way, because it's true the food system and what we are, the sense of nourishment that we offer in our culture, a lot of it is junk and crap. And there's a reason why people are not healthy in consuming it. So I just, I don't know. I really believe that the sensitive people are, have something really important to share. And I think that's what I want to nourish. Well, that is part of, I know. And I do, I recall the instances that you're talking about specifically. I can see them. Yeah. And I think that was a huge part of it for me too, is for so long, what I ate and how I was allowed to nourish myself was dictated by someone else, whether it was my parents, doctors, dietitians, nutritionists. And so being at the point that I am in my life now, I feel so privileged to be able to decide for myself and to offer something else that I believe in, that I feel is going to be good for other people and nourishing. And it feels like it's a huge privilege because I wasn't even in charge of my own food for so long. Now I get to create for other people. It's a huge, huge turnaround. So my, my last question today for each of you is if you have uh, any book titles that you would recommend to our listeners. Uh, Callie, we'll start with you. So I have The Devil in the Kitchen, Sex, Pain, Madness, and the Making of a Great Chef by uh, Marco Pierre White, a chef that I worked with, gave it to me when I was in treatment. And it was sort of a pick yourself up by bootstraps, like tough it up. <laughs> if you're going to work in kitchens, you got to be tough. And sort of witnessing his experiences 
made me grateful for <laughs> my experiences in the kitchen. Um, my Fight, Your Fight, it's uh, by Ronda Rousey, and she's a, a fighter, and she struggled with eating disorder issues, um, but sort of harnessed them and to become more powerful um, in her career as a fighter. Uh, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, always fantastic. And uh, Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Mm. Oh, Callie. <laughs> She's so deep and lovable. <laughs> um, I, I have a lot of books, but mm-hmm. um, for, for food, I found that my Bible for food is Healing with Whole Foods by Paul Pitchford. Mm-hmm. super basic but not really basic actually like a very thick and it's a deeply um healing book about food and what and chinese medicine it's a chinese medicine base but you basically look up all your favorite foods and find out what they actually are doing for you mm-hmm. um and i love the oh she glows um cookbooks by Angela Lydon, who is a Canadian. Um, I find her recipes really fun. And um, for Star Seeds, I think one of the best books, one of the best like modern kind of spiritual movements is The Gene Keys by Richard Rudd. A really mm. favorite system of finding your purpose and going into what you're here to learn and how you can do that and then just for staying inspired and keeping your wild self alive women who run with the wolves by Clarissa mm-hmm. Piccola Estes and um we'll stop there wonderful <laughs> well we will add all those book titles to the show notes uh thank you for for all those and thanks for everything you shared today. It was really great to have both of you on the show. So I can't wait for uh, Starseed to reopen uh, next March. I'll be there. And uh, thanks again to both of you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Thanks and for coming to try the Kitchery Wrap. I love the Kitchery Wrap. I, we I, get I, the adventurous people. I'm looking forward to yes. the next Kitchery Wrap. Uh, thank you, Kristen. And to uh, all our listeners out there, thanks so much for tuning in today. Uh, Great to have all of you. And if you feel inspired, please feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform. And have a great day, everyone. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the North Star Unplugged Podcast. The audio version can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. The video version can be watched on YouTube on the North Star Unplugged channel. If you like North Star Unplugged, please subscribe and leave a review on one of those channels. Finally, all prior episodes are also on the North Star Sleep School website at northstarsleepschool.com, which offers an e-newsletter you can sign up for.